Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. And one of the nurses said that nurses are leaving to earn travel money, which they should be getting paid at their regular jobs. We are underpaid. Paying travel nurses isn't a sustainable option. Now, before all the travel nurses try to come from my head, let me say this. I appreciate travel nurses. I've been a travel nurse. And there's definitely an opportunity for travel nurses to positively influence a unit because we need you. We need help taking care of these patients. Now, I will say this, the pay structure of a travel nurse is a lot different than that of a staff nurse. Now, I'm not arguing for either way. I'm just stating the facts and objectives here because this actually can pay for a very interesting conversation. Do I feel like nurses should get paid more for what they do? Absolutely. Now, paid how and what that looks like, that might be different depending on where you live and what's important to you. Some people are looking for that actual salary that comes in. There's that taxable income and there's that non-taxable income, which travel nurses get to benefit from as well. So it's an intro, It's like a formula. It's like a cocktail of things. And then also you take into consideration medical and dental benefits, 401k and other options and perks that are work. So that's a little bit of trickier to understand. Do I think that travel nurses are like that pay is sustainable for our healthcare system? That's, a little, that's tricky. A lot of things going on. It's hard to answer that question. However, I do believe that there are definitely creative opportunities for nurses and hospitals when it comes to getting paid. And while I love my travel agencies, what if we cut out the agency and let the nurse work directly in contract with the hospital? Or what about we let nurses apply and work for hospitals, but decide how they would like their package? I'd like to be a W-2 worker. I'd like to be a 1099 worker. And if I'm coming out of town and I'm doing just a a temporary assignment, I'd like some of my income in a non-taxable form. I think there's definitely opportunities to create pay packages that makes nurses feel better and we feel more valuable and rewarded for the work that we do. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at nurse.org. And on this episode, I wanted to talk to you about the 2022 This is the State of Nursing report brought to you by nurse.org. Some of you may or may not know, but between the months of September to November of 2021, nurse.org surveyed nearly 1,500 nurses to better understand the state of nursing and to give nurses a voice. So, you know, with millions of nurses worldwide, we really wanted to truly understand what was going on in nursing. How are nurses feeling? Why were they feeling that way? And what were things that we could do to improve the situation, especially when we know there's a nursing shortage? We really wanted to get down to the real reasons about the nursing shortage. So we asked them things about, you know, real life issues regarding the pandemic, what they were first facing every day, and, you know, what could we do to make things better? So just to give a little background, even before COVID-19 pandemic, you know, healthcare leaders were warned 
and hospitals were facing an already nursing shortage. There were so many things that had happened. We'd had some recessions. We had the Healthcare Reform Act of 2010. And so, so many things were happening. We were had now had a group of people who had access to healthcare that didn't previously have it. So we had increased demand of services by people. Also, with the way that medicine is going on the cutting edge of medications, research and treatments and things like that, people are living longer. They're living longer and they're also living longer with more medical conditions. So they're having more chronic illnesses. And so the acuity of patients once coming to the hospital are even sicker. So the people that were once in ICU now seem to be like they're in telemetry or step down or in med surge. So we've had that. And then we've also had issues with how we funnel people into the nursing profession. So about 80,000 applicants for nursing school are turned away every year. I know 80,000 applicants. You know that would, what that would do to the profession if we can actually induct all of those people every year? But unfortunately, we can't. We don't have space in our nursing schools. We don't have enough qualified nursing instructors. And there's a shortage of clinical and training sites. So that's happening. And then what the pandemic has shown us is, yes, absolutely, we need nurses. But we also need nurses working not just in the hospital, but in all these other areas. You know, the pandemic, if there was any silver lining to it, really highlighted the significance and important role that nurses play, not only in hospitals, but in the community settings, in the home health settings, in the long-term care settings, just about anywhere and everywhere that there are people, we need nurses. And that's just the truth of the matter. So we already had this nursing shortage, and then the pandemic just really added fuel to the fire and exacerbated this. But the pandemic also brought a lot of its own problems. Not only were we having to work harder and longer hours and take care of more people, but we were having to do so without the resources that we needed. I mean, do you all remember the time where we were like fighting for PPE? We didn't have enough masks. We didn't have enough gowns. I mean, I recall at some of the hospitals where I've worked at cutting out plastic in shapes of a gown to make them. Like, this was ridiculous. We were using the same N95 mask for days on out, you know, literally till it fell apart. And so we didn't have the PPE we needed. We weren't being afforded the protections because, you know, when this started, we didn't even have a vaccine and we didn't have even some of the emergency use and now what may be FDA approved treatments or medications. And so we've come a long way since the pandemic, but listen, we still went through the ringer. We still went through the ringer and there's still a lot of ringing that's happening and seems like it's going to be continuing to happen. But back to this report, some survey insights from the state of nursing report. And it found that nurses are indeed struggling. Only 12% of nurses are happy where they are. Over 80% feel burnt out, underpaid, frustrated with their administrators. And this past year that has affected their mental health. Nurses are also leaving the bedside because of several issues like inadequate staffing ratios, not getting equal pay for equal experience in some places, not receiving hazard pay during the pandemic when I definitely believe it was warranted, especially in those peaks and without the adequate you know, resources to take care of patients. Also, not having adequate backup or relief. That's hard in and of itself. I mean, we got to have backup. Uh, also, the inability to take breaks, sick days, or even turn down extra shifts. So, Breaks, what are those, right? Pre-pandemic, what were those? Now you take pandemic, when was anybody taking a break? Because by the time you were all garbed up in all your stuff, it takes like five minutes to put it on, 10 minutes to take it off because you got to take it off correctly so you don't 
brush it somewhere on you and then go use the bathroom, go eat and come back. We were overwhelmed with patients. We were all out of ratios. It was an emergency crisis happening. And like even in the ICU, there were times where I had four patients in the ICU in California. And I know other states, they're like, you know what? We had more than that. We had six. I'm so sorry you did, but I'm just going to complain about my four right now. But we were literally taking care of so many people. So we didn't have time to take breaks. Even if I wanted them, even if I needed them, I don't know, that 12-hour bladder just kicked on in or I just wouldn't drink. Because I wasn't eating or drinking, I didn't have anything to pee or poop. So I couldn't go to the bathroom. And then also, honestly, I was scared to come out of my PPE during a shift. I recall, and I won't say the name of the hospital, but going there and I absolutely needed to take a break because I was overwhelmed. I was going crazy. I was crying under my all my PPE and I needed to eat something. I literally you know, took off my PPE, scrubbed up, almost like damn near took a shower just to take a break. And then I ate my food literally facing the corner and didn't talk to anybody in the break room. And in fact, there were only limited seats in the break room, but still I was in the break room by myself. Someone else came in, but even when they came in, I was already facing the corner because I didn't want to inhale anything. I didn't want to touch anything. I stood up and I ate my food in the corner. And then what about these six days? Listen, We were at, this was a time we were telling people, stay home if you're sick, you know, quarantine at home, stay home for 14 days, treat your symptoms. Okay. So we're telling this to the general public, but we as nurses were not able to take our own advice because we were the workforce that was taking care of people who were so sick, they needed to come in and be admitted. And then also there were these extra shifts like, you know, we're short staffed tomorrow. Alice, can you come help? Can you do this? Lady. I've already worked five days this week. I'm exhausted. I'm kind of feeling under the weather, worried that I might have COVID and you're asking me to work and you're dangling some incentives in my face, which let's be honest, some of us took it. Yeah, we took the bait. But after a while, we were like, "Mm -mm, I don't care how much you're paying me. I'm not coming to work. But it wasn't even that. It was the guilt that was, you know, thrown your way, the shade that was thrown your way, the looks that were thrown your way when you didn't add on beyond already completing your full-time commitment, which by the way, you probably completed your full-time equipment and probably worked on extra shift or two already and didn't want to work any extra. And so they looked at you like, how could you? We're in a pandemic. We need help. We need nurses. I know you do, but before I fall out and become a patient, I'm going to need you to find another nurse to do it. Not all of us were as bold and brave to kind of advocate for ourselves. And some of us, We're trying to take advantage of a very unique situation and capitalize on the financial gains, but we all paid the price. We paid a price in some way. Exhaustion, exposure, just not feeling well, less time with our family and friends, and going to a workplace where you are overworked and underappreciated. So those are the highlights of some of the survey. But I want to say this, despite everything, nurses, we still have hope. 70% still think nursing is a great career, which I do too, even though I have to say I saw some of the worst of the worst and was in some terrible situations with patients running out of ventilators, running out of medications, and like literally busting my ass to save someone who I literally, beyond our science, medication, and treatments, just could not save. Having to be the not only the nurse, but the family member for the patient as they didn't have anyone to hold their hand or say goodbye to them. I'm literally trying to FaceTime on my own personal phone so a family could see their loved one because they weren't allowed in the hospitals. And the patient was too sick to actually interact with the patient themselves. Here I am trying to update family. But nevertheless, 70% of us still think that nursing is a great career. 
And 64% still think that new nurses should join the profession. And I definitely am one of those 64%. I've had people ask me several times, Nurse Alice, do you think that I should still go into nursing? Am I making a mistake? I've seen what's happening. You know, I'm a little worried. What should I do? And hands down, I will tell you, of course, of course, you should still go into nursing. It's a wonderful profession. Don't get deterred by what's happening. Not at all. Because the problem is not with nurses or nursing. The problem is that nurses have been so busy taking care of others that no one has taken care of us. And we're here to change that. And by you entering the nursing profession, you will help to be part of that solution. Absolutely. And then for my nurses who have been struggling and either have left the bedside, considering leaving the bedside, be assured that you're not alone in those struggles. If you've had the energy, if all the energy you've had is to keep your head down, get through your shift, sleep, and then come on and do it all over again, know that that's enough. It's not your responsibility to solve the nursing shortage. What we want you to do is put your own air mask on first, put yourself in a situation where then you can help take care of others. And besides, we are starting to learn that nursing can look like several different things. It doesn't necessarily mean at the bedside anymore in the hospital. It could mean in the community setting. It could be in home health. It can be telehealth. It can be in a school. It can be, you know, in an office, in a clinic, so many different things. I mean, hands down, we do need nurses. Nursing is actually now, I believe, expanded to provide other opportunities in the workforce. We've created so many different jobs in so many different settings, um, which probably always were needed, but now the COVID pandemic has shed light on that. But if you're thinking of leaving the nursing profession, perhaps it's not leaving the profession in its entirety, perhaps it's pivoting and working into a different area. So let's get back into this report. I shared some of the survey highlights, if you will, but there's definitely some pieces that I want to break down and get closer into, but just a little bit heads up about, you know, who was in this survey, right? So again, it was about 1,500 nurses that were included in the survey. Ages ranged anywhere from 18 to 64. I would say that a majority of the nurses uh, were, uh, I would say, above the age of 40 or so, um, but we still had a good spread of nurses. These were primarily registered nurses, many of whom had their bachelor's degrees. Nearly half of them had their bachelor's degrees, majority of them. I would say definitely at least over 1,100 of them uh, were white and Caucasian. We did have other ethnicities participate, but not to the magnitude of white and Caucasian participants. And as far as career level, most of these were nurses who were practicing clinically, majority of them. And they were practicing in a full-time staff nurse position. And they were all across the United States. Some even internationally participated. And the primary specialties that voiced their opinions in this survey included those who worked in medical surgical ICU and ER. So, and there was a good spread of other specialties as well, anywhere from pediatric, long-term care, tele, OR, perioperative, psychiatric L&D, nurse managers, supervisor, directors, educators, home health, PACU, PCU, which is progressive care, oncology. And then there was other. I'd say we had some, a good variety, but obviously majority med surge, ICU, ER, which I believe were the most hardest hit specialties during the pandemic. I'd have to say med surge was probably hit the hardest. ICU, ER, they're already expected to be able to take care of very critically ill patients, manage them, stabilize them, manage them, are more experienced at the deteriorating patient. Med surge is an area where patients are sick enough to be in the hospital, but not critically ill. They're acutely ill, but they're not critically ill. And so 
a majority of our hospitals who had med surgeon nurses, those med surgeon nurses are usually the most populated specialty in the hospital as far as having more nurses. And so those nurses were really, you know, summoned to the plate to help out taking care of these COVID patients. And these COVID patients were very sick. So these med surgeon nurses had to learn a lot of skills really fast and not necessarily have had the training on how to manage the critically ill patient. So it was very much a learning curve, a skill set learning curve as well, more so than the telling the PC nurse, because telling PC nurses are usually trained and oriented with critical care concepts, although they may not do the actual task as ICU nurse, they're familiar with the, some of the concepts. And med surgeon nurses just don't necessarily all have that training. Some of y'all do, so I'm not, I mean, this is no shade, no diss. But for many, it's definitely a learning curve. Med surgeon nurses having to learn to manage ventilators when they don't normally do so and those type of things. In the survey, again, you know, only 12% of nurses surveyed were happy in their current job. 12% guys, and that was, I am happy where I am. The actual question was, which of these statements best reflects your thoughts about your current job? I am happy where I am, which was 12% of the nurses. I would like to stay at my current job, but changes are needed. And literally about 40% of practicing nurses said that. These are nurses who are practicing in the clinical area. About 40% of them said that. 31% said that they wanted to get away from bedside. And 27% were considering leaving the profession in its entirety. That's some news. I, don't, I can't say that I'm too surprised by that. But 12%, that's not many, guys. That is not many. Actually, that's not enough people, okay? Um, we want everyone to come to work at least in a good mood and somewhat happy because when you're happy, you'll be more productive. You know, a lot of things can go better your way when you're happy at work. When you're not happy at work, uh, makes for a more challenging shift, um, which can challenge how your day is going to go and what the outcomes are going to be. Now, as I mentioned, you know, some nursing specialties were hit harder than others. And, you know, the specialties with the highest satisfaction rates of that 12% that said, I'm happy where I'm at, those primarily were nurse educators, home health, nurse managers, OR, perioperative, and pediatrics. So those are areas who weren't necessarily on the front line of the COVID pandemic and really taking care of these very serious, critically ill, deteriorating patients. Mind you, they had important roles, and I'm sure that they did work. Now, obviously, they worked during the pandemic, but perhaps did not receive the brunt of it, unlike other specialties. And according to our survey, the specialties with the lowest, lowest satisfaction ratings when it came to, I'm happy where I am, telemetry nurses, 0% were happy where they were. Wow. And you know, I can see that. I can see that because in telemetry, I will say this, as a clinical nurse specialist, one of my duties or roles was to, in addition to new grad training, onboarding of new staff, um, new to specialty and continuing education for critical care nurses, or I should say nurses in the critical care division, that included ICU, progressive care, and telemetry. Telemetry nurses get some elements of critical care concepts, but they're not necessarily asked to do the task. They're not managing swans, um, A-lines, or any of the, you know, they're not titrating drips or things like that. They may learn about the classifications and be familiar with some of them, at least enough to know what's on the other side. So if they have a deteriorating patient, they know that, okay, good patient for ICU because they can get this in ICU, but they weren't necessarily giving it. Telemetry nurses were hit hard, definitely hit hard, I will say this. And in some states, like here in California, technically a telemetry staffing, right? We have um, we have protected staffing ratios. So technically, telemetry units can have one, it'll be one to five, one nurse for five patients. The culture has been one to four 
patients. And then if it is an area that has a higher acuity, which would progress into your progressive care, your step down areas, they actually change it one to three. But in the pandemic, they're going one to five, if not more sometimes. 2% of ER nurses were satis satisfied. Progressive care unit, 3%, med surge, 6%, ICU, 6%. Now, these, again, were areas who were hit hardest with the specialties because these were the people who have the skill set to take care of these patients who were uh, deteriorating. Now, 87% of nurses said they felt burnt out in the past year. And the question read, do you agree or disagree with the statement? In the past year, I felt burnt out. Well, I can tell you, burnout rates, 90% of nurses practicing clinically were burnt out. They agreed. 78% uh, of nurses not practicing clinically were still burnt out. And so, you know, that says a lot. There was actually a particular quote left in one of the surveys that said, I've been an RN for 34 years and in my specialty of nursing for 31 years, and I am burnt out. If I could afford to quit, I would. I can't wait to retire. Nurses were feeling burnt out. Now, I'll say this. There's several reasons why nurses were feeling burnt out. Uh, some of that stems from moral distress, not feeling appreciated, discrepancies in what they were earning and making compared to some of their colleagues, especially travel nurses. And we're going to get into that. Don't worry, the comparison. But long story short, nurses were burnt out. A majority were burnt out. And so that's something that, you know, if you have a, a workforce that's burnt out, how productive are they going to be? And it's not even about productive for them. How are they going to take care of themselves? So that's one thing I want to be clear in this podcast. It's not, yes, nurses, we care for others, but also we need to just take a step back and care for ourselves because while we were doing all this education and treatment of others, we never really took the time to take care of ourselves. And that also contributed to some of our unhappiness during this pandemic. Also found in the report, 83% of nurses say their mental health also suffered. So the question read, do you agree or disagree with the statement? My mental health has suffered because of my job. There was a resounding agree in, with this, literally a resounding agreeal with this. And I think that many, I, I don't even know, I think that's just common knowledge. Even if I didn't throw a number out there, I think that's very common knowledge. The pandemic definitely, many people's mental health, whether you're a healthcare provider or not, your, your mental health suffered. But just imagine being a nurse on the front lines, you're, you don't feel good maybe, or you're scared, you're worried about, you know, your own safety, which you're going to bring home back to your family, taking care of others, this risk of exposure, not having enough PPE, taking care of a sick patient who, and not just, you know, several sick patients, high acuity, so many patients, not having the resources or the help that you need to take care of them and just working like you got to the floor and you were just running, running all day. Okay. And the nurses who reported the highest rates of mental health suffering were progressive care nurses, our PCU nurses, 96% were telemetry nurses. And listen, these are nurses who, again, fall within the critical care umbrella. So I could definitely see that. I could definitely see. And the reason why I highlight this is because these were nurses who, again, were trained with some type of critical care concepts, very close to working in the ICU, but not quite at the ICU. But during the pandemic, they're like, look, you kind of know what to do. So here, boom. And just like, pass the torch to them, right? Okay, ventilators. Here, we're going to have this one hour in service on ventilators. Here you go, boom. And so I can see that. Those were definitely areas that were overworked, overran during the pandemic. 60% of nurses felt uncomfortable working outside of their comfort zone and moral code. And out of your comfort zone, I would feel out of my comfort zone if I'm afraid of 
a particular condition, a condition or infection that I don't really understand, that I don't really have protection to ward against, or you know, at the time, even though when there were no vaccines, like there was nothing that I could do to really protect myself other than wear PPE or stay away. Can't stay away because I'm the nurse. So I really had to wear this PPE and protect myself. So that could be uncomfortable. I was probably also uncomfortable with the number of patients that were taken care of. And then also probably doing skills that you're not as familiar with. Nurses are amazing beings. We learn some stuff. We will learn how to do a particular task. We will learn the workarounds and all of these things. But we were learning on the fly. And some of these things we weren't even taught. We just figured it out. What enough doctors or nurses for all of these patients. And so we were just having to figure stuff out. Okay. So I'm sure that can bother some people because everyone wants to do the right thing. And in a state of uncertainty and no resources and flat out, no one to freaking ask, no one there to direct you. You had to make a decision. You had to do something. And the bottom line is we were trying to save people's lives. Also in the survey, we found that 58% of nurses felt uncomfortable working outside of their specialty and scope of practice, you know, and kudos to the med surgeon nurses who stepped up. I know there were some very creative staffing plans drawn up. I know of some places where the med surge nurses came to ICU and did a majority of the skills that they felt qualified doing. And then the ICU nurses went around and managed the drips. That could be uncomfortable for both the ICU nurse and the med surge nurse, because I'm sure the med surge nurse didn't want to inadvertently do something that would worsen the patient's condition. And probably the ICU nurse who was managing all the drips was worried that because they didn't have a full picture of the patient, because they just had so many patients to cover that, you know, Am I doing the right thing for the patients because I'm not taking the full care of the patients? So people felt uncomfortable and people sometimes felt it was out of their scope of practice. And I'll say, you know, all the news, we need more ventilators. We need more ventilators. And I kept thinking to my head, we need more nurses who know how to manage ventilators. And so nurses are being rushed to manage a ventilator. And I'll say this, even as a critical care nurse, when I first learned ventilators, it was scary. And actually for the first year until I fully, fully, fully understood the dynamics of a ventilator what changes need to be made and for what conditions and why, and when this happens, do this. I felt uncomfortable every time I heard a beep, something was beeping alarm. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? 100% FIO2, boom. You just push the 100% button. And then you hope you have Ambu bag close by because if I can't figure this out, baby, we're bagging. And so I can imagine how that felt for some nurses. 56% of nurses have felt unsafe at work in the past year. Yeah, I agree. I I get that. 63% of nurses didn't feel that they were getting equal pay for equal experience. Now that's an interesting question. And one of the nurses said that nurses are leaving to earn travel money, which they should be getting paid at their regular jobs. We are underpaid. Paying travel nurses isn't a sustainable option. Now, before all the travel nurses try to come from my head, let me say this. I appreciate travel nurses. I've been a travel nurse and there's definitely an opportunity for travel nurses to positively influence a unit because we need you. We need help taking care of these patients. Now, I will say this, the pay structure of a travel nurse is a lot different than that of a staff nurse. Now, I'm not arguing for either way. I'm just stating the facts and objectives here because this actually can pay for a very interesting conversation. Do I feel like nurses should get paid more for what they do? Absolutely. Now, paid how and what that looks like, that might be different depending on where you live and what's important to you. Some people are looking for that actual salary that comes in. There's that taxable income and there's that non-taxable income, which travel nurses get to benefit from as well. So it's an intra- It's like a formula. It's like a cocktail of things. And then also you take into consideration medical and dental benefits, 401k and other options and perks that are work. So that's a little bit of trickier to understand. 
Do I think that travel nurses are like that pay is sustainable for our healthcare system? That's a little, that's tricky. A lot of things going on. It's hard to answer that question. However, I do believe that there are definitely creative opportunities for nurses and hospitals when it comes to getting paid. And while I love my travel agencies, what if we cut out the agency and let the nurse work directly in contract with the hospital? Or what about we let nurses apply and work for hospitals, but decide how they would like their package? I'd like to be a W-2 worker. I'd like to be a 1099 worker. And if I'm coming out of town and I'm doing just a a temporary assignment, I'd like some of my income in a non-taxable form. I think there's definitely opportunities to create pay packages that makes nurses feel better and we feel more valuable and rewarded for the work that we do. Now, also during the pandemic, 78% of nurses are not getting hazard pay. Now, I know this is an interesting question because you're like, hazard pay? We're all in hazard. Like, who's getting hazard? Like, just because you work on a COVID unit, you get more pay than someone who doesn't work on a COVID unit when we later found out that patients were all over the place with COVID. So that's interesting. So I think I, you know, although 78% of nurses said they were not getting this hazard pay, I think there were opportunities for people to get hazard pay collectively during that period of time. I think some hospitals did it, some did, and some didn't. Now, 80% of nurses say that their units are inadequately staffed. I believe it. There are these things called acuity systems. Nurses are supposed to fill them out so we know how sick the patient is, which is supposed to determine the amount of staffing you get. But we know that different nurses come with different skill sets, and an FTE is not necessarily the same as another FTE, considering their skill set, if they're a new grad, and all of these things. So it's a lot more complicated when it comes to providing the staffing that you need for units. But I'll say this, we were in a world pandemic. Everybody was inadequately staffed. We just didn't do it. There were no more break nurses. Charge nurses had patients and it was a hot mess. So how do we fix that? I just think we need more staffing overall, period. And that we definitely need to put systems and processes in place so that if extra staff is needed to care for patients or if someone's acuity is higher than a particular nurse can provide, maybe their patient load is less. So maybe you're on a unit, you have five patients, but the patient acuity is really high. Maybe you only have four or you have three. I think those are systems need to be figured out to really make that happen. But because of these things that I'm mentioning, nurses were leaving the bedside. Some didn't want to work. Some patients, some nurses got sick and couldn't work, right? Or some left and started said, I'm doing traveling. I'm going to capitalize on this opportunity. And because of that, certain nursing specialties felt really big staffing shortages. And I think long-term care nurses, definitely 96% replied that they felt inadequately staffed on their units. 94% of progressive care nurses felt they were inadequately staffed. 92% of med surge nurses felt that way. 91% of tele nurses and 91% of labor and delivery nurses. Yes, absolutely. And let me say this, kudos to my long-term care nurses. Y'all work very, very hard, very little resources. And we know that during the pandemic, especially our elderly patients were hit the hardest And, you know, when they got COVID, suffered the worst complications. And many of them were not always able to go to the hospital and you had to keep them there at the long-term care facility. And that added work to you when you already have to take care of a lot of patients as it is. And I know the skill mix is different. You may have an RN charge nurse, everyone's LBNs, CNAs, and things like that. So maybe you don't have enough registered nurses to to do, you know, insert IVs and give these medications and do all the things you needed. So I know it was a lot of hard work for you and also, you know, identifying patients who were really deteriorating to that needed to go to the hospital. You just didn't have enough nurses to, to keep an eyeball on these patients. Something else that's also mentioned in this report is that, you know, some nurses were struggling more than others. Again, I mentioned a lot of these stats, 81% of nurses didn't feel they had adequate backup. 53% of the nurses felt that they were not able to turn down an extra shift. 53% 
65% of nurses were unable to take a sick day. What kind of, is that right? I mean, I'm a nurse. I think I know when someone's sick, it should stay home. But you're telling me I can't stay home? That's whack. And while many nurses have turned to travel nursing, travel nurses also reported higher levels of struggle than any other type of nurse. Absolutely. And I believe this is because I think there maybe have, was some pettiness out there. It's like, oh, they're traveling. They're making the big bucks. Just give them that load. Give them that patient. Give them that patient load. They, they get paid for the to do this, right? They get the big bucks for this. And so although I agree that travel nurses do come with a certain skill set ready to rock and roll. Listen, we were in a pandemic. Didn't nobody know what was going on. This is a time where we really should have banded together. But, you know, unfortunately, money got in the way of some of that many times. Also, 70% of travel nurses felt unappreciated. And I think some of that was just the result of, I don't know, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there, jealousy, some animosity that someone was coming in. Literally, you know, when we look at the average salary, now I know everyone's going to say, depending on the state, but let's just say for simplicity that during the pandemic, a staff nurse was making $1,500 a week. You had travel nurses making five, eight, and $10,000 a week. Mm, I sure am going to give you that assignment with the sicker patients because you earning it. No point for me to have it if you're the one making ten thousand and I'm only making fifteen hundred. There's a big discrepancy in that, and that not even medical benefits, insurance, or four hundred one k can accommodate that. There was a big wage gap there, and that really left a bad taste in some people's mouth. Depending on who you were, depending on if you were the staff nurse or depending if you were the travel nurse. And I will say this: I've worked a couple COVID assignments. I came to you, and I'm not going to say the hospitals, ICU. There were, I would say, legit ten of us who were agency staff, ICU nurses, two nurses who were core to the unit and they had both been nurses for less than a year. One was barely a year and the other one was not even six months. And they were the two core nurses and they were having to orient or show us, give us a tour of the rest of us nurses where things were. And there were 10 of us and hands down, we were making way more than they were. I know that was frustrating for them. I know it was, even though they were new, I know it was very frustrating for them, um, but they were not yet eligible to do travel nursing because of their shortened time as nurses. 73% of travel nurses, felt like work was unsafe. I'd agree with that. As a travel nurse, you get to go around, you see what's happening in different places. So you, with that finger on the pulse, you get to see like what's safe, what's not safe, who has good cafeteria food, who doesn't. You know, you get to just measure different hospitals in certain areas. And so you could see a lot. And listen, when a travel nurse says somewhere is unsafe, it's unsafe. Believe me, it's unsafe because they didn't been around to know what unsafe really means. But these are some of the responses from the survey. But the guys, guys, let me say this. There is still hope. There is still hope. Despite all of these things that I've mentioned, which, by the way, you can see this report on nurse.org. It is called the 2022 This is the State of Nursing Report. Despite all of this, 70% of nurses still think that nursing is great. And 64% still think that new nurses should join the profession. Absolutely. And I am one of those people. There's definitely, definitely some work that needs to be done to improve the profession. So we can not only retain, but still continue to recruit nurses to the workforce. Okay, guys, what are some of the things that we need to do to keep people coming and staying into nursing? Well, I'm going to tell you what those are. So some of the things that we definitely need to do to keep nurses retaining them in the profession. And while, let's be honest, I'm not going to be able to retain everybody at the bedside because growth happens. Growth happens, natural evolution, and that's okay. But perhaps there's an opportunity to retain our nurses within the nursing profession so that they can still help to take care of other people. It just might look a little bit differently, and that's okay. But again, we also want to recruit people to enter the nursing profession. So we're going to need to support nurses as they return to the workforce, improve workplace conditions. We definitely, definitely need to invest in nursing education and mental health resources for nurses. 
And, you know, those are the things that we need to do because this nursing shortage is an issue that affects us all from the youngest of the patients to the oldest and from our families at home to the communities we live and work in. Nurses fill so many roles from the bedside to administration to shaping the healthcare policies of the future. So we need nurses. And so we need to hear your voice. Even though the survey has been completed, there are definitely some things that you, the listener who's listening to this right now, can do. First thing, want to check out the report, go to nurse.org and read the 2020 State of Nursing Report. Also take action. There's a pledge there that you can sign. It's called hashtag the real nursing shortage. We ran that on social media for a while, but listen, it is here to stay. So even though we ran that campaign with the hashtag a couple months ago, don't worry about it. It's still, it's still alive and well. And just recognize that the term nursing shortage fails to address the systemic issues that are causing nurses to leave the profession. So we want you to read the report, share the report, and then, you know, there's a pledge there that you can sign. And then in that pledge, what you're saying is I will support fellow and future nurses by advocating for true change within the nursing profession because all nurses deserve to be treated with dignity, respect, and to be paid our worth. So please sign the pledge. Something else you can do. Contact your elected officials. You guys, it's time elected officials stand up for nurses. Write them, call their office, demand changes for nurses. And if you go to the nurse.org website and read the report, there's actually a hyperlink. You can click that link in the report and it tells you details on how to contact your local and state officials. And even more so, at the time of this recording, we need to contact them, guys, because there are some people in Washington and some other states who are saying they should cap nursing salaries, travel nursing salaries. I'm not about that. Now, they're alleging price gouging in a, type, in a time of a state of emergency. And while I get where they're going, what they're saying with that, I definitely think capping the travel nurse salary is not the answer. I believe if we get them to understand the full situation, they can then create policy and legislation focused on fixing the underlying problem. So hopefully that they can, places can retain and recruit nursing core staff and, you know, therefore eliminating their needs or reducing them significantly for travel nursing. Travel nurses are meant for, they are an emergency service. So if we're an emergency pandemic, I mean, travel nurses, you know, unfortunately today's price is not yesterday's price. It's just not, Um, but contact your local officials. And then also, you know, we got to put yourself first. If you want to solve the nursing shortage, which we do, it can't happen without nurses recognizing that they are not the problem. Guys, we are not the problems. Now we can help with a solution. Now, no one person is going to solve this. Let me just say this. This is going to be a collective effort. So if we've ever needed to, this is a time where we need to band and come together and collectively voice our concerns as the largest segment of the healthcare workforce, guys. Without nurses, this healthcare system would not exist because we are the largest segment of it, working 365 days a year, 24-7. Um, and it's something very, very important that we need to talk to our legislators about. But, you know, nurses need the support of patients, families, administrators, and healthcare systems in order to continue to perform this vital work. And it starts with spreading the word about what nurses need now. And right now, that's higher pay, safe nurse-to-patient ratios, hazard pay, real mental health services and resources to help us talk through the things that we're going through. I mean, it's one thing for us to say to the patients, you know, talk to a counselor, you know, um, get some help when we're not doing it ourselves and we're not afforded the time to do so because we're so busy at the bedside. We also need adequate staff support and we need new nurse training and support programs. We do. We need to really remedy and create a strong pipeline 
for people to enter the profession, go to school, get the proper training, enter the profession, and for hospitals to support that continuing education and training for our nurses, guys. This has been a highlight overview of the 2022 This is the State of Nursing report on nurse.org. It is definitely a report that you want to read. It's a very easy report to read. It has stats. There's data there. There's graphs. So if you need this for a report, want to share this with a you, with someone in your C-suite, the president of your hospital, please, by all means, grab it off of nurse.org and share it with them. This is something we want to raise awareness with. And by the way, I myself will be going from speaking at different schools and different colleges about this state of nursing report, courtesy of nurse.org, because that's how strongly we believe that we need to champion this message and get the word out. I know we all know something about the nursing shortage and the state of nursing, something about it, but I think it's really important when we can share this content in a very well-rounded manner that looks at both sides of the coin. So it doesn't look very one-sided, but you know, if we know what the other side of the coin is saying, why we can't change these conditions, why we can't do this for nurses, I know what you're going to say, but let me give you the data, the information and examples of how you can create better work environments and better work conditions for nurses. So we do stick around. Thanks to nurse.org for this report. It was very much appreciated, very much on time, easy to read. Thank you. Also, thanks to nurse.org for allowing this podcast. Please share this podcast with your friend, classmate, colleague, coworker, hey, your neighbor, anyone who you feel is an aspiring nurse, practicing as a nurse, friend of a nurse, or works with a nurse. Very good information to know. And um, while you're on there checking out this podcast, check out the other episodes, like, rate, review, leave a comment. Definitely want to know what you think. And hey, if you have an idea or a comment around this show or another show, you can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Would love to hear from you. And that's it. I'm your host. You can catch me on social media at Ask Nurse Alice. I'm on all social media platforms at that, Ask Nurse Alice. And then guys, until next time, make good choices, be kind to one another and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.